In addition to this, the Texans were blocking interviewing members of the Eagles and Patriots organization because their employers didn't let them. And whenever you're a team in the playoffs, you can you know block interviews uh, during this time of year. And the Texans also uh, took Brian Gutenkest out to dinner, Bill O'Brien specifically, but he was hiring the Packers their manager at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning that night. So that's kind of the summary of what's going on here. They're going to start interviews. Some of the guys they want to interview, they can't. And they're going to interview two guys already linked to the Texas organization. So BFD, you think the Texans should make a decision soon, or should they wait out, wait out, wait for some of these teams to get knocked out of the playoffs, review all the cans that they're interested in, or should they you know, go ahead and find the, the, the prettiest girl that they you know, see immediately, uh, and so that way they won't be you know, left all alone in the result? Well, it's with, with the I think Brian Gain, I think if he wouldn't have gone, or his most likely destination, I think, was would have been the Giants. But, you know, of course, Gettleman went there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Great, now my throat's hurting. That's awesome. Not from yelling at kids, by the way, for the record. But if these are our two choices right now, Jimmy Ray the third and Brian Gain, if these are our two current choices, these two guys had a very heavy hand, both of them, in the current roster makeup. And I, I want to wait until the playoffs are over. I, I just, you know, I, I, I can't see where you look at any of the, either of those guys and really say, hey, look at the teams they've worked with. Look at the great job they've done. I mean, can you say that about either guy? And if you're going to make your decision points on about you know, hiring this, this person, I at least want a guy who has some something to show for it. But if you're going to say, yeah, I have been the, uh, you know, vice president of football operations and AGM for the past, was it three years, I think, or for the past year, and you look at the Texans roster and go, no, no. And, and especially in the instance of Brian Gain. I mean, I was really hoping that, that Brian Gain would go to the Giants and that Bill O'Brien would follow him. That way we get rid of two guys who don't do their jobs well. So mm-hmm. I'm not excited about either of these guys. To me, both of these guys are just Rick Smith without the 10-year track record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we talked about last week, too, with Brian Game, where he was the director of pro player personnel. He had a big influence on Johnny Lamar Miller, Brock Osweiler, Lamar Allen. Uh, we all know how – and Lamar Allen, Jeff Allen. And we all know how that went. The other interesting thing, though, if they do go with, like, Ray the Third or Brian Game, I think because of – where they've been in the organization before, I think that kind of opens the door for Rick Smith to come back as well. If the Texans have, you know, let's say a bad 2018 season and they could fire Bill O'Brien, bring in Rick Smith and hire another GM. And he'd be back maybe in 2019 even. And that's kind of a weird thought as well. And so like, I know that these candidates have been blocked, but there's been some rumors circulating that, you know, maybe they're not even being blocked necessarily, but that, the general manager candidates don't really want to go to Houston because Rick Smith is still kind of sort of there. Like his ghost is overhanging everything. So do you think that that and the Texans are having a head coach is going to hurt their chances to get the guys they really want? Uh, well, we don't know who they really want. I mean, I think you make the great point is that with this weird Rick Smith and kind of weird purgatory for 2018, I mean, if you hire Brian Gain or you hire Jimmy Ray III, I mean, are you kind of just giving the message that, hey, this is really Rick Smith's job when he comes back? And if you're not one of those two guys and you see what's going on, are you confused? It's like, hey, am, am I just in this for one year or am I going to be reporting to Rick Smith next year? Uh, it, there, there's so much confusion, I think, that, that I think we're – when you say the guy we want, like I don't know if there's a guy we want if, if – 
if there's not going to, if it's going to be kind of an unrequited love, if it's somebody outside of that organization, outside of being Jimmy Ray's third or Brian Gay, just, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, if they were to ask me to take that position and I'm an aspiring GM and I want to GM my own team and I'm looking at what the Texan situation is, I'm going to probably pass. So I think no matter what, we're going to wind up with one of those two guys because I don't think uh, anybody else is going to come work for us because, you know, you've got the ghost of Rick Smith hovering over the organization and the player personnel aspects. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a better job than you think it, than, you, than you're saying it is. Just because you, know, you potentially have a franchise quarterback in Watson, which is the hardest thing to pin down. That's why Colts' job, you know, was really good last year, and also to be a good job to take in the summer as well too. And whenever you have that quarterback position, you pin down everything else might be easier. And you also have a lot of you know talent around around you, uh, the ball. You have a lot of free agent cap space, and you know, we've talked a lot about you know, the fact that you have line, you know, fix offensive line, and the secondary in the off season, which is you know very difficult to. You know the way the roster is constructed; those positions aren't as important, you know, depending on if I stay healthy or not. So I do think it's still a good job, but it's a very strange job. Like it's a one to come into with Rick Smith, you know, being there on the outside, he could be your boss the year after, in your old position, and also the fact that you have Bill O'Brien, who has one year left on his contract, and you're having to you know, deal with a head coach that you know one has fought with the GM for what the past three or four years. Nobody knows, has any idea who made which decision or that or which one or the other because they both, you know, gossip about each other behind each other's backs to, you know, unknown sources. And so you're having to work with a guy who's already has a track record of being, you know, hard to work with when it comes to general manager specifically. So I don't know. I mean, I'd say like from like a, I guess, a talent level, it's, it's a good job, but everything extra, the subjective parts of it, it's kind of a murky and, and a strange one as well. Yeah, and then you look at one more aspect to it, and that's that's uh, Bob McNair's comments earlier this year, the, yeah. the inmates running the asylum. That's not going to sit well with a lot of head coaches because that's one more aspect. They don't just they don't want to have to deal with the, uh, with an owner who's going to say stupid stuff like that. And yes, you can give it all the excuses you want. That's just the saying. It's not you know not really what was in his heart. Look, this is still it, it, it's. Bob McNair has a history of discriminatory, uh, uh, discriminatory actions. Whether that was the LGBT campaign in Houston a couple years ago, the Hope campaign, he has a history of it. Okay, you can't get around that. So uh, a lot of head coaches are going to look at that and go, "Nah, I don't want to deal." So you've added a lot of levels of complications. Much fun as it would be to come in and work with Deshaun Watson and Clowney and build up a team around those guys you still look at all the side stuff and say, but all this other stuff, man, I don't want to deal with this, this junk. And it's all Damn. junk. It's all trash. So I don't know. I kind of look at it like, I think we're going to wind up with, with Ray or Gain just by default. Um, I, I just do. I don't know. And adding on to what you're saying too, this is a team that doesn't have their first two draft picks. And I just want to say again, I don't think this is, has ever been said enough. The Brock Oswald trade is really bad, and uh, if you don't think it is, you know you should look outside the fandom and look at the extra layers of it and what they accomplished with the free agency money that they that they got out of it because it's a bad trade, you know, with how everything kind of worked down the full you know circle of it. And you're talking about Texas team that's having to build this team through free agency this year, and so if you're a free agent and you're African American, do you want to go play for Bob McNair based off his comments, based off his track record? 
Uh, I know that you know, you're have guys there who you know like, you know like Clowney and McKinney and Merciless and stuff who haven't said anything at all really. You know, Clowney wore the jumpsuit as a joke on Halloween, but I don't think it's it's shown that it's going to have any effect at all on his contract extension, for example. But still, like if you're if that's you know your heritage and come in this situation, is that really what you want to get to? Do you want to play for a team with an owner like that? And it could also influence you know where free agents. Maybe they have to pay more money to get guys in, or you know te- guys are just going to go to different teams because they don't want to play for Houston. And that's a legitimate possibility as well. And it's going to be interesting how that shakes out in March too. Yeah, and, and there there will be an impact from that. There there will. Uh, I just really don't have any doubt that players want to. Look, players understand a couple things about the game. They understand they've got short lifespans as football players. They understand that they need to max out. They saw what happened to Dwayne Brown, that he was basically traded, you know, for for whining a rave. And players are going to see this. This does not exist in the vacuum. So if, if I, I have to say, once again, if I were a player and I'm looking at my choices, if I'm a uh, general manager want to be, and I'm looking at my choices. The Houston Texans would not be at the top of that list. Yeah. So who do you think that they end up with? Do you think they end up with Raiders or Brian Gain? And which one do you want? I think we have a preference of the two. I, I don't want either, and I think we wind up with Brian Gain. I think Brian Gain is, in a lot of ways, he's kind of the most transitional. He has a history with with Bill O'Brien, a deeper history, I guess, would be more fair to say, than than does uh, Ray. Mm-hmm. Neither of these guys really shows me that they're anything more than just Rick Smith. And that's not what we need. We don't need another general manager with three playoff wins over 10 years. We we need somebody who – and we don't know. They might be capable of it. I'm, You know, let's be honest. We're all talking out of our butts here. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what they really think. We don't know where Rick Smith might have overruled one of the decisions. There's a lot of unknowns here. Let's be very, very honest about this. So mm-hmm. they might be really awesome, but from looking at what we can see, what we have knowledge of today, neither of these guys excites me. I want the Eagles, dude. Yeah, I don't know anything about any of these guys. I have no preference either way, but just the way it's kind of breaking, I think the Tech want to get a GM sooner than later, especially since you know, Bill Bryan's head coach and he's going to be here this year. And I know he wants to get started on your player evaluations and rookie scouting. And that, and you know, based off the history he's had with these two guys, I think it's really going to come down to whichever one O'Brien likes the most. And I also watched a video that John McClain had. I know you've had jokes on in the past, but he said that once the Texans sign their general manager, uh, there's a, it's very likely that the Texans extend Bill O'Brien after that. Uh, do you think there's any truth at all to, to what McClain was saying in that video? Yeah, believe it or not, I agree 100% with that because I don't think you go into 2018 with Bill O'Brien on a one-year contract. If you have to make a change at the end of 2018, pardon me, you're just going to eat that contract. That's all there is to it. So you don't want – you have to give your players a sense of confidence that their leadership is going to be there at the end of the season, that there's no kind of gray area there. So I I can't imagine that he's not extended once we have a new GM signed. Hmm. I hope they don't, just because I think O'Brien hasn't done enough to show he's a good head coach. Uh, and again, like a lot of things we've talked about a lot, but I think he needs to be on like a one-year prove-it deal and just see how this upcoming season goes before you accept anything any longer at all whatsoever. And he said, like, you know, he wants to stay in Houston with the coach Watson, and I think you have to kind of see what he does this year. But I, I think it's probably expected that's what's going to happen. They'll probably end up 
sign Brian Gain as their head coach, and then as their general manager, they sign Bill O'Brien. And, uh, and then it's a possibility that even after that, next year doesn't go well. Both guys get fired. We can see Rick Smith as a GM and 19 and make another head coach after that. So it's weird. Like, it, like it's such a weird situation. I don't really understand it. It's kind of like a um, – I guess I'll, I'll leave this metaphor at the door. It's a weird situation, though. Yeah, I, I don't – it's one of those things that if you if you kind of collected what's wrong, what could, what could be, like, the most worst things going on when you're trying to hire a GM – you have all the background with the team. You have the background of the owner. You have a, a roster that's, that's fairly bereft of talent outside of the top tier. You don't have this first, you know, first or second round draft pick. And then you've got the ghost of the former GM who's kind of hovering, rattling his chains in the attic. He's going to come back in 2019 when, when Tiffany hopefully is all well and good. So there's a lot not to like <laughs> if you're interviewing for this job. Because here's the fact, we don't know how Rick Smith returns. We do know that yeah. Rick Smith will return, but in what role does he return? Is this a one-year gig? I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could you be living out of a hotel for a year or you know, renting an apartment for a year as you wait and kind of see what happens? I mean, the whole thing is you know, very strange. Uh, the other big the little section that came out was that DeAndre Hopkins isn't going to participate in the Pro Bowl. I guess he heard the Steelers, and I thought he sat week 17 just because the game didn't matter, and why get him hurt during the off season? Like how Will Fuller got hurt in that game, and we still haven't heard anything at all about the the prognosis on that injury either. So, are you are you sad? You're not going to watch in the game that you're probably not going to watch anyways. Oh, I haven't watched the Pro Bowl, and I, I don't even remember how long. Probably since I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, for, for sure. It's one of those games that you get excited for when you're <laughs> ten years old, eleven years old. And then you watch it, and you're like, they're not hitting each other. They're just standing there. The only good thing I liked about the Pro Bowl was when every player would wear the helmet of the team. So you just have those just just grandiose blue and red jerseys, but then you have you know, 11 different helmets on the field. And I always love that part of it. Okay. I admit that is pretty cool. I also like it when they trade decals, which doesn't – I don't know if that happens anymore. It used to happen every once in a while. But I used to think that was cool. But, yeah, this, I, they need to do something. The Pro Bowl just is not really enjoyable. Um, the beach football didn't work out well. There's got to be some way to kind of spotlight these guys. Let them, but back in the 70s, they used to have, like, I don't even remember what it was called, but the wild water, wide, wide world of sports. They used to have, like, these contests. There would be swimming and sprinting and all sorts of, like, athletic feats, and teams would compete against each other. Let's bring something like that back. I think that would be pretty cool. They do something like that. I know they did last year. They're kind of doing it this year. They're playing like tug of war, and they have like a skills battle, a quarterback accuracy competition, which is good. You know, they should do it. It's more fun whenever they have those sorts of things, kind of make it an awesome week. But, you know, football in itself is inherently it's a violent game. And when you remove the violence and collisions, it's not, you know, really the same game at all anymore. It's just kind of like a it's the last pick-up basketball game of the night, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't get any thrill from it. Let's pass. Yeah. So last off, it's playoff time. Uh, last week we made our picks. I went to see in Buffalo. You went one three, picking the Panthers over the Saints. And again, let me remind you, we were doing this with the spread. So is this one of the best wild card rounds that you that you can remember? It was a really, really interesting wild card round. Really, right? You know, you had 
you had the 10 to three Jacksonville game. You had the, the QB shootout in the other game. You had the Rams kind of, you know, taking a giant dump in the middle of the field in their game. It was a really a kind of erratic weekend, but a very fun weekend. It's, uh, I don't know if that's really the best I've seen because I, there have been a couple that have been really, really good, but it was a, you know, a very entertaining weekend, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one of the things where, like, I like I wrote about the weekend. I was like, you know, I'll never forget this weekend. I won't forget these games. Wow, what a great collection of games. But then next year's going to come along, and I'm not going to remember any of this at all. <laughs> you know, as soon as the next year happens, you just flush your brain because there's only so much stuff um, so I mean, I really enjoyed. It. I had a great weekend watching all four of these seasons. It was a blast. Uh, which game was your favorite? Uh, probably the uh, Saints Panthers game, just because um, that one should have not been as close, and it was really neat, kind of watching the Panthers stick around. Um, I was really, I, I think, going into it, it would have been the Rams Falcons game was the one I was looking forward to the most, but that turned out. The Rams just looked awful. Um, so, yeah, I kind of go with the uh, Panthers and Saints. Watching Drew Brees is just a thrill. He's just a fun guy to watch. And Alvin Kamara is just a fantastic football player. Uh, so, that one was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was my favorite one, too. Yep. And it was mainly because of that quarterback duel between Drew Brees and Cam Newton was just spectacular. So, the review of these games will go in chronological order. Uh, the first game of you know, Saturday afternoon – was the Chiefs and Titans. And I, I think really the biggest thing about this game was the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs lost Travis Kelsey. Uh, if you forgot, he caught a drag route over the middle of the field, broke one tackle and lowered his head really low into the second one and collided with John, Jonathan Cyprian and got hit right in the head and fell down, was woozy getting up, missed him in the locker room. He didn't play another snap. And then after that, Kentucky was able to you know cover the Chiefs wide receivers that she's really struggled to move the football. They, the Titans had no answer for Kelsey, too, up to that entire point. And so that really changed the dynamic of that game. Uh, do you agree with that? How much of an impact did you see that it, Kelsey injury had on this one? I think that had a significant – I think that was the difference in the game. I think Kelsey in the game, the Chiefs win. Uh, there, his replacement came in, uh, Demetrius Harris, and he wound up dropping a, at least one pass. I can remember off the top of my head, but I think it was two. Mm-hmm. And both of them were easy catches. Um, you know, Kelsey doesn't drop those. Kelsey is just such a threat after the play. And, and really, when you look at the type of quarterback that Alex Smith is, is when he was successful this year, he was pushing the ball down the field, he was making plays. When they went into the slump, kind of mid-season, mid to late season, is because he went back to being Alex Smith. He quit pushing the ball, uh, stretching it with Tyreek Hill especially. But he's got so – I mean, they've got so much speed at the wide receiver, wide receiver position. I mean, how do you not get excited about – I mean, Albert Wilson, Wilson's also a burner. Demarcus Robinson's a burner. So mm-hmm. uh, he, Alex Smith reverted to Alex Smith in this game, and when he lost Travis Kelsey, the only one of the really best weapons he's got in the middle of the field where he's going to be successful, I think Alex Smith just kind of short-circuited, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird, too, because Alex Smith led the NFL yards per attempt on throws greater than 15 yards in the field, up to 19 and 3-6. And he was, like, the best downfield thrower in football this year. And you really – people forget about that. And so, in this game, Kelsey, no matter who they had on, they played zone coverage. He was fitting in the holes really well. Uh, they put – they put Williamson on him. They couldn't cover him. They were playing Bayard, a deep 
much throughout the entire game in case, you know, Hill broke anything at all. And they were, they were afraid to play with – they were afraid to double him and, and give Hill you know, more space downfield. But, yeah, it, it is weird, though, too, because, like, it did change the entire game. But you would think that the Chiefs wouldn't fail to score, you know, touch on the second half because of that. Because the Times were the worst football team at covering short passes, and you know, the Chiefs are in the past, you know, historically they've been a good, quick throwing team, and it really didn't work out well when they were trying to do their quick passes and their screens and their cute plays. Uh, the Times did a really job, you know, kind of slowing those plays up. But you know, just kind of really how that dynamic changed, and then the Chiefs were kind of reverting to this other way they used to play, which kind of is a perfect way to catch Titans that just didn't work out whatsoever. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's give credit to the BESFs where it's due is, is you had great games from uh, Williamson. I mean, relatively. Okay, let's just be really upfront and honest. <laughs> still a lot of trash out there. Uh, Adoree Jackson, you had you got enough play from from those guys that they did not sploosh themselves. And sometimes that's, you know, you have to give the credit where it's due on those kind of games. Hey, no, they weren't great. They weren't fantastic, but, man, they didn't shit themselves. Oh man, I actually cussed. They didn't crap themselves out on the field. So winning. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things I saw too was they played a lot of man coverage to start this game. You mentioned it last week about Adoree Jackson covering Tyree Kill. I wrote about last night. But they did that, and Ty- and Adoree Jackson was absolutely in like the first five targets that he had in that game. <laughs> right, they changed right. the coverage entirely. They went more zone. They played off of Hill. They said, you know, Smith doesn't have the best arm. And so if he's throwing the ball out wide outside the numbers, you have a chance to down a tackle. And if you make those tackles, you know, it really neutralizes Hill. And if he just go deep, you can cover his deep passes. And they did a good job making that adjustment. And I really think that defensive adjustment and the Kelsey injury, you know, turned this game around defensively for the Titans. Because, again, they gave him 21 points in that first half. And Alex Smith first uh, – uh, he had two touchdown drives on his first three possessions. Yeah, football is constantly, yeah, did, really constantly involving. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, didn't I, it seem like Adoree Jackson, too, after that last one was just completely demoralized as a football player? Mm-hmm. Like that third or fourth reception that he well, gave he's up the Tigers. alongside of him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just sad. Wow. I, I, he, was, he was awful in that game. Uh, he ended up making like a, a tap tackle on Hill later on, but he stood no chance against him one versus one. And you know, it's like, you know, you want to put a fast guy on a fast guy, I think, yeah, that should work out. But there's a difference between you, know, you have some technical skill and he was trying to jam Hill at the line and it didn't work out you know, at all whatsoever. Uh, the other thing I liked about the times in this game was they really stuck to their run game. It, Even though they went down, you know, 21-3, they still kept running the ball long and, you know, attacking a really bad Chiefs run defense. Uh, so what do you think about Derrick Henry? Good, bad? What are your thoughts on him? Uh, Derrick Henry, is that what you said? Yeah. Well, he really kind of had the play of the game, right? When he broke off the, the touchdown run, got him within that 21 to 16, that 35-yard, like, relatively easy jaunt. Uh, he's a really odd guy to watch because he's so big, but he's so fast. He has no uh-huh. – he has no, like, lateral quickness at all, but somehow he can still do a little bit. He's just a really odd combination of speed and size and just pure, unadulterated terror running down the field. 
Yeah, I've never seen a running back like him before because he's six foot four, two hundred forty pounds. And my friend was telling me that when he went to Alabama, he was a linebacker. All everybody throughout then, you know, the D one programs want him to play linebacker, defensive end, and Alabama want to keep you at running back. And they did that. He's six four, you know, two thirty, and he is a bad in between the tackles runner though. Like if you look at his yards for carry distribution this year. He averaged, this is off the top of my head, but I think he averaged 2.96 yards to carry middle, but he averaged 10.36 yards for carry on the left edge. So he loves to do is like run halfway up the middle, stop, plant, and then run all around to, to the outside on the left. And it works out against bad runs in the city. Um, it doesn't against really fast defenses like Jacksonville. So, I mean, I don't know. Like it's kind of one of those things with a quarterback who improvises a lot that at it. Like how much do you want to reel him back and you know play within the game, and how much do you want to let him do you? But I've never seen a guy with his size just be so bad running the ball up the tackles, but be able to break things outside in such a weird way where he'll just again plant, run laterally behind the scrimmage, you all the way around the edge. And also helps that you know Taylor Lewan's been you know here and had a great game against Kansas City. Yeah, and didn't he have his 35-yard touchdown? That was one of those kind of bounce outs on the left side, if I remember correctly, which I may not. No, but he, it was left yeah, side. He now that he ran up middle, and they had, he had a huge ball. He had seven yards, like total to run through, oh, and one into the other. God, the that, and then he cut it to the left after at the end pass from Parker. After he got to, when he got to the second level, yeah, or got yeah. To almost the third level at that point. Yeah, that's right. That's when the whole offensive line opened up, or the Kansas City Chief line opened up like the Red Sea. That's right. Yeah, it it was unbelievable just how big that hole was, and it was a. a Pretty cool, you know, power play, too. But they just got some really great double teams. And the Chiefs are really bad run defense. Like, you know, we talked about last week why I thought uh, this game would be at least close. I wasn't expecting Tennessee to win, but I thought it would be at least close. But that wasn't even the play of the game, though, BFD. You forgot that Marcus Mariota has self-strike <laughs> touchdown. And the self-strike touchdown is whenever you throw the ball, the defender bats or my bats it, and then you catch it, and then you run it into score as a fact. Uh, have you ever seen that before? I, I know I have. I know I have somewhere, but I don't know if it was for a touchdown. I mean, I've seen quarterbacks do it. I can't place for sure when I saw for a touchdown. I sure as hell can't remember one that happened during a playoff game. I know John Gruden showed it on his iPhone that Brad Johnson did it whenever he was in Minnesota, and that was the best part of that telecast because you know, John Gruden's really bad in the booth. But, yeah, I've never seen the self-psych touchdown and it was just one of the most spectacular. And my favorite, my favorite part about it was Daniel Thornton shoves Mariota has been tipped, and he shoves him towards the football, of course. And Mariota makes a really uh, pylon dive to score as well. <laughs> Daniel Thornton's got to be. Uh, he he's he's like the. Who am I looking for? Oh my God, the ex Texan. Hurt himself on the motorcycle. Oh, my gosh. That's where your mind goes. Matt Stevens. Matt Stevens. Uh, That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. He's like the Matt Stevens of of 2017 football. Yeah. Well, I think Frank Sambo is the worst player in that defense. And he was a guy who was infamously blocked by Mariota. But all game, like, he said no chance against the lawn. He had no speed. He couldn't tackle Derrick Henry. He offers nothing as a pass rusher. And then Tyra, you know, Chiefs. You know, front seven, like Chris Jones is spectacular, but he got hurt in this game. But Derek Johnson's 35 years old. He's too old. Reggie Ragland is 
a good tackler, but he's not a good linebacker. And Kansas State Chiefs fans level say he's good, but he's not that good of a football player. But, you know, again, he can tackle pretty well. Houston's not that good of a run defender. Uh, Tom Ball, Lee's done. They have some big eyes, you know, on their, on their defensive line. You know, Alan Bailey's really dropped off, which is a surprise. Uh, D Ford hasn't entirely lived to expectations, but I think some of that's having to do with the injury, too. But they were 32nd yeah. in run defense DVOA, and they have to do a lot each year to, to improve that run defense. So whatever they end up doing, is, you know, just doesn't work. Uh, my last question for you about yeah. this game is uh, – go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, fortunately for the Kansas City Chiefs, they have Derek Johnson on the roster. Derek Johnson from the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah, and it's too because he was great two years ago, and then he tore his Achilles uh, last, last, since his last Achilles tear. He's been just a bad player. He's smart. You know, he's intelligent, but he did, he murdered Mariota in, that, in this game with that free rush, but he's just not good anymore. Uh, my last question for you about this game, too, is are you happy that the Times won this game? Because, you know, I know one hand the Times won, that, may, that makes you sad. But on the other hand, Times won, and Mike Malarkey's going to stay for another year as the head coach. Yeah, and that's the best news out of this, is that Mike Malarkey is just such a terrible head coach. And, and we, we kind, of, kind of joked about this in the past. This basically cemented Mike. I mean, how do you say Malarkey doesn't coach the team next year? He's at to. this point. Yeah, yeah. so, so we, we kept a really, really poor head coach in the AFC South, so that's kind of winning. Uh, and, and the other funny thing, as we uh, are not quite going to segue to that game yet, but, you know, Blake Bortles was so bad uh, uh, during his game. I mean, he uh-huh. wasn't even game manager quality. you got to think the Jacksonville Jaguars are kind of looking at this game going, yeah, you know, maybe Blake Bortles isn't really the answer. Let's go get us a quarterback in 2018. So we had a little bit of winning over the weekend as a Texan fan and a little bit of losing as a Texan fan. Yeah, and that, that's the whole thing to be interesting, too. We'll talk about that in a second. It is weird. Like, Malar- like, Malar- like I like the, the meth mouth thing. Like, I like the way the offense works. But then you have to be able to, to balance a, a common passing attack off. They came to your opponent, and they haven't done that at all. And, you know, they're going to lose, like, you know, this weekend. Uh, the night game was Rams-Falcons, yeah. and – I know you touched on briefly the Rams were just you know, bad and they cannot supply this game. But uh, I firmly believe that this would have been a, a really great football game. Like, it got close a few times, but I was never able to actually do it. But if Farrell Cooper doesn't have those two special teams turnovers and give the Falcons two red zone possessions, and if the Rams don't lose two possessions that game, I think it would have been uh, a really good game. And also, I think the Rams are the better team they would have ended up winning, too. But I think those two, you know, turnovers just really killed them. I don't think you're wrong at all. I mean, not at all. The turnovers kill. Thank you, Jacoby Jones. You know, you proved that to be very, very true. Um, but they, what, what the uh, Falcons really seem to concentrate on, and this is my takeaway, and I haven't actually bounced this off of anybody yet, but it, they really seem to focus on taking away the, that outstanding screen game. At, mm-hmm. And you talked about it often that they have they're the best screen passing uh, team in the NFL. They really seem to focus on the Falcons. Seem to focus on taking away that screen game. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, for sure. And they play a lot of zone coverage. They have a really fast defense, and those two things usually lend to the ability to miss the screen game. And I know I know like just watching it, they made a lot of really great tackles where Gurley had 
four catches on 10 targets for 10 yards. His longest reception went to four yards. He had 737 yards receiving this year and all running backs in football. And I think part of it also is the field, too, where he plants a turn and he would slip. He slipped into some tackles. But they were on him immediately after pass attempts. And that was kind of the, the staple of the Rams' offense this year. Or the, the staple of the Rams' passing offense this year was the screen game. And the Falcons said a good job to take those plays away. Yep. So I know the – very good. Great, great job. That's why I'm a professional. Uh, the Falcons' defense did a great game, had a great game. And you think they're breaking out for the playoffs or is this just a good matchup for Atlanta and one good game? I, I think they were able to beat the Rams at their own game. And this isn't a bad team. I mean, the the Falcons, they, they were not, especially defensively, they were not where they need to be. Uh, and, of course, you, you had to expect a major uh, pullback after losing Shanahan as the offensive coordinator. And I see that as one of your questions. I'm not going to plot spoil that. But uh, they, they're, they're not as good as they were in 2016, that's for sure. But they were really able to focus on keeping Gurley in check, you know, during um, yeah, in the passing game. They got lucky with the Farrah Cooper turnovers. You know, sometimes things just go that way. I, I do agree with you that the Rams are the better team, but sometimes you just get lucky, and that's why we play the game and other neat little colloquialisms. Yeah, the Rams are young and experienced. I heard I heard that all weekend uh, from one of mine. I'm still tired of hearing it. And yeah, evidently every every Los Angeles, I'm sorry, every Los Angeles Ram is a toddler. Evidently, that was what my takeaway. They've never played the game before at all. (laughs) And it it was also just such a weird game too, because like watching it, you know, they go down by ten. You know, yeah, this is as bad as it can go, but still as good as it can go always, because they're still in this game and they lost two possessions like they did, and then. Game I was waiting for Matt Ryan to turn the ball over. Like I was waiting for a really stupid throw, a really big interception to happen, and I'm still waiting for it to happen. And I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, BFT. And I, I know Steve Sarkeesian took a lot of heat this year. They said he was terrible, he's awful, he's horrendous. Uh, he was just, you know, spectacularly bad at the offensive coordinator position. But I thought he did a really good job in this one. How'd you like the Falcons' offensive game plan? I don't know what to say. It was fine. You know, I saw that question. It was He was fine. But there's, to me, there's a difference between fine and we look at what Kyle Shanahan did the, during the playoffs last year, and you see how they were just explosive they were. And this was basically the same unit, right? Mm-hmm. So, and Matt Ryan, you know, look how he kind of regressed. So he was fine. He doesn't get me excited. He's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what they did because they were you know, going into Rams defense and you know Wade Phillips always has a great pass defense, but his run defense isn't that great. And the Rams, you know, really took it to them. They ran a lot outside. They ran outside zone to the left. They ran outside zone to the right. And they didn't break any big runs at all. But they kept getting you know five yards, six yards, three yards, you know, seven yards. They had a lot of successful plays, and they kept that Rams offense off the field for the majority of the game just by solely churning it, you know, turn the ball down the field like they did. And the one thing that really impressed me about Sarkis is that I think over the course of the game, he's not that great, and the Rams are limited to the setter and up. But he has some, makes some really great plays. Like that Sanu 
really awesome where you have everybody running slants to the opposite side of the field. Uh, Julio Jones is running that extension over there. And then they hit Sanu going back the other way that he took for, you know, 60 yards. And then also that touchdown throw that Ryan had to Jones, they have Jones lined up on the left side of the formation. They fake the outside zone left. Jones sprints behind the line of scrimmage and just runs the pylon. Uh, the defensive back covering him, uh, number 43, Jones, he takes one step to the right. And after that, you know, you, he, he cannot catch up to Jones. And he's wide open. And Mary, uh, Ryan threw, like, a really lovely, just, like, high lofting pass him for the score. And you see, I saw that a lot of Sarkeesian this year, too. Like, the Rams would have turnovers. They would make mistakes in offense. But they were still able to craft some really beautiful plays. And I know Sarkeesian's up there with his hat on backwards, and he's took a lot of flack. But uh, I really liked what he did this game. I think he did exactly what needed to be done for the way the game flowed and also for the best way to attack the Rams' defense, too. Yeah, well, I think while there, I agree there were some good plays. When you look at, you know, the the Falcons averaged something like, not counting, you know, Matt Ryan, so I'm just, and I'm kind of eyeballing here, averaged about 3.4 yards per carry. You know, that's not acceptable in any – at all, mm-hmm. that's not acceptable. So it was just the sort of thing where it was enough to do damage. It's not something that if you try to do the entire season, if you did that the entire season, you'd be a below 500 team. But in this case, it worked for one game. Yeah, and and I also like in the playoffs too. The game really slows down. Possessions are longer. You're not running. Like, your offense kind of, like just you're not running on no huddle. Even though the Titans didn't save their season, Carolina with no huddle and worked out pretty well. Uh, but the, I just think the game's a lot slower whenever you have those turnovers and the way find the biggest thing is just to not have a really big turnover and and have that occur and. You know, the Rams were close. You know, they were close, but they were never able to fully break it open. Yeah, I have, I have two last questions for you on this game. So, Jared Goff, is he good? And Sammy Watkins, is he good? I think Jared Goff, he's better. So, he no longer has Jeff Fisher ruining his career. So, he's got that going for him, which is nice. I mean, the dude wound up with 100.5 QB rating for the season. A lot of that, yes, was due to the success of you know, the screen game, but he still averaged eight yards per attempt. I, I think he's gotten to the point where he is technically good, and that, you know he definitely improved greatly from year one to year two. I think the bigger question is, is can he build on year three? And mm-hmm. as we saw with like Blake Bortles, who, who improved greatly from one to two and really two to three even, he's got to just keep improving. So the year he put up this year, he had 28 – TDs and seven interceptions. He is a fine quarterback. He's good. I would love to have him on my team. Uh, so, yes, I do think he's good, but he could be better. Mm-hmm. Matt? What about Sammy Watkins? Well, I think that one's trickier because you you added a lot of wep, uh, weapons. You know, Robert Woods got a lot of the action this year for them. And Robert Woods has had a hard – I mean, I'm sorry, Sammy Watkins has had a hard time staying healthy. He hasn't had a 1,000 uh, – has had 1,000-yard season in his career. He's not the most efficient receiver by any standards at all. I, I At this point, I wouldn't call him a bust. I don't think he was worth the – you know, 2014, I think he was the fourth pick. Yeah, he was the fourth pick that year. He wasn't worth that pick, but he's not bad. I think he's the sort of guy, though, who still has – enough athletic ability that he can age well and he can turn himself into kind of a Larry Fitzgerald kind of receiver. 
but at this point in time, he's, he has not been what he needs to be. Um, is he good? Yeah. Depends on your definition of good. Is he great? No. Is he, was he worth that pick? Nah. Mm-hmm. Nah. Yeah, so for Goff, I think he, he had like a Gabbertian rookie year. He had the second worst rookie season. Uh, and one of the worst rookie. I think he had the second worst rookie season of all time behind Blaine Gabbert. His DYAR was like negative 784. His DVOA was like negative 400 something. Uh, name redacted had DVOA, I think, of like, oh, man, negative 400 does not sound right. Um, it was something just like astronomical, though. It may have been, I don't know, but it was astronomical how bad he was last year. And then you have better coaching. You have an offense that, you know, is better suited for him. You create easy throws. You build his confidence back and all that sort of thing. I wasn't really on the Rams going into next year. I thought they would probably be one of those teams that regresses some. Uh, just it's hard to run an offense like they run and have it, you know, work again the next year unless there's improvement there. And I thought, you know, a lot of gospel issues, a lot of empty calories. But then he made some throws this game, and there were some really spectacular throws that he was making to try to get the Rams back in this one. And so just, like, based off four of those throws that he made in this one, where I was like, wow, you know, who, who is that? Uh, I'm all in for Goff being a good quarterback, and I think he's going to improve a lot next year. I think him and McVay are going to be a great combination. It's going to be a lot of fun, much, you know, what he can do with Goff. To, to, and this is also, like, in one offseason he's able to do with Goff. Add you know more weapons, add another year, add more you know, time around the game, working with each other, and I think it's gonna be one of the premier you know quarterback coaching combinations in the league. Actually, and I don't even know how much that's gonna be golf itself, but you know with McVay able to expand the game for golf. Uh, I don't think Sam Watkins is good though. I think he's a, a bad receiver. I think he can't make any catches in contact. In con in contact, I think he has trouble with contact. I think he's only able to. Whenever he gets wide open on a route, he, I think he's still a great route runner, but everything happens after the route he struggles with. And that pass they got through that was just spectacular that they done the sideline when they one score game that just goes right through his hands, I think is a good example of that, where he can get open against guys, but it's everything after that he struggles with. And I just think he's too, like, I, I think he, he strives away from contact too much to be a good receiver in the league. And I think it's more his personality. And I don't really see him becoming anything more than a guy who you just keep giving opportunities to because he was a high, high first round pick who will give you, you know, like 600 receiving yards and four touchdowns. I, I, you know, I hadn't even considered that about Watkins. I think that's a fantastic point. Yeah, I'm so I'm so mad about that pass went through his hands. I get really yeah. uh, you know, angry about some of these things. But yeah, that's all I have for for that game. Uh, I wish you could play that game again without the Farrah Cooper uh, turnovers. And Farrah Cooper uh, is going to be a pro bowler whenever it comes to returning. He was great all year. And I think – I don't think the Rams really had nerves, but I think Cooper did for sure. And that whole thing was really kind of frustrating because you just want to see a great game. And it, it almost got there, but it never fully boiled. Uh, the first game Sunday was Bills-Jaguars. Now, I was wrong about this game as I was watching it because you know, my thought while I'm sitting you know, on the couch was that whoever – Throws the other team out of eight-man boxes, and one safety looks is going to win this game. But it turns out neither team can make that happen, and each team just sat there running the ball against eight-man boxes. Uh, did you enjoy this game? <laughs> this, this is like that really stupid set of commercials where 
do enjoy, you know, it's like pouring hot coffee on yourself. That's yeah, yeah. I like those like. commercials. They're good. I just I want to kick them all in the nuts. Even the women. Kick them all in the nuts. I hate those commercials. <laughs> I like <laughs> the one where the guy's getting his seat kicked back on the airplane. That one makes me laugh. <laughs> God. Uh, no, that's, that's what this game reminded me of. It was pure masochism to watch it. It was it, it, on one hand, okay, on one hand, I love watching great defenses. Callie Campbell had a had a really great game. Uh, th- this was a lot of fun to watch from that perspective. I also like a little offense in my game, and also like to watch a little quarterback like that might be named like <laughs> Bortles or Ty Got Taylor, who can actually you know successfully throw the ball down the field to gain yards. Those are kind of fun things too. Taylor was freaking terrible this game. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was. Um, it was entertaining in a head-banging sort of way, Matt. Yeah. Uh, so I've never thrown a football before. And so Blake Bortles, like, is it hard to throw a football in five miles per hour of wind? God, no. <laughs> if you have any sort, oh, my goodness. When I saw that question, I just – I died. Um. If you throw a good ball, and so this is one of the things we talked about a lot during the combine time especially, right, is everybody's looking at the size of the hand. And I will tell you that my right hand is eight and a quarter inches. I do not have a right, a big right hand. My left hand's nine and a quarter. I, I can't explain this, but that's a true story. So I eight and a half and nine and a quarter on the left. So I don't know what's going on. I should have been left-handed. But anyway – if you have any sort of pull down on the ball to get a spiral on it, a five mile per hour wind means absolutely nothing. I mean, it's, it's like literally nothing. You should be cutting that ball through that sort of wind. It's not even a, this isn't even a thing, right? It's not a thing. And so for that to be a thing is just absolutely hilarious to me. I just telecast Rama brought it up because Bulls is missing these open like yard passes and they weren't even close it was like he was skipping rocks across a, a plastic stream in Oregon or something and he was like yeah you know he needs to get the ball like this and they showed the and then I was like how he's like but it is pretty windy here Jim and they showed like a tracker of how windy it is there in six miles per hour and I lost that he was, you know you thought it was a, a malastorm he was throwing in out there but <laughs> I, you know, I, my theory of Blake Worlds, I think he's secretly left-handed and just hasn't realized it yet. And then once he, <laughs> once he figures out he needs to throw out the other hand, he'll be a lot better. That sounds like the stuff he used to do when I was bowling is I'd be bowling left-handed and people come up to see, hey, you want to bowl for money? I'd say, sure. And I'd let them beat me. And then I'd be up there the next time. I'd go, oh, that's right. I'm right-handed. And I'd wipe them out. And I got into a lot yeah. of fights that way. And I don't recommend that it's making a living. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, no, it, that was really funny hearing that stuff because it was just so stupid. I mean, look, if it's, like, 10 miles per hour and it's swirling, yeah, that'll start to mess with it. But if you throw any sort of ball that has a uh, – if you're throwing any sort of tight spiral, which these guys should all be doing, they have decent mechanics. Of course, we're talking about Blake Bortles, so no. But, there, you know, it, once you get up to 10, maybe – you know, maybe they'll start messing with you, especially crossing patterns a little bit. If it's, if it's a crossing wind and you have to say, okay, I need to throw it a little bit farther out. But still, when you're throwing a ball 20 yards down the field and you're throwing about, I don't know, 45 miles per hour, 45 miles per hour, 
the difference on that ball is going to get there in about 2.9 seconds. So the difference on that ball is going to be more or less four inches, right? We're not mm -hmm. talking about huge differences when it's a 10 mile per hour wind. So that, that to me was just hilarious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really like he was just hanging out the beach, you know, on his seventh beer, just lazily throwing the ball with the, you know, a buddy of his. And it was also, we were watching a playoff football game in Jacksonville because it's bright and it's sunny and, you know, lovely after watching uh, how cold it was in Kansas City. Uh, that, you know, it was, two, it, it was two entirely different places. So, oh, that part, aren't the aesthetics of this game also? Now, the, the other thing about it kind of made me sad was that touchdown was scored. Because I was hoping it was going to be a 6-3 to three game. Like, I didn't want to see any touchdowns. I did score it all. And the Bills almost stopped Jackson from scoring. Leonard Ford dived over the pile. And, uh, Quan Alexander, or Lorenzo Alexander, yanked him down by his ankles to the playoffs. And then they ran that play action pass on fourth down, which was the only touchdown of the game. Now, Leonard Fournette had 57 yards rushing and 21 carries. Uh, what do you think is going on with him right now? So the, the Buffalo is just stacking the box. I mean, they played out of their head. But Lorenzo Alexander played out of his head. Uh, Preston Brown is not that good. Oh, he's not bad. Ramon Humber is not that good. You had a lot of guys really playing out of the heads that game, and that was the one thing that really stuck out at me. But Lorenzo Alexander, the dude was all over the field. It was like he tried to single-handedly win that game for Buffalo. Um, they were just stacking the box. They were going to say – they went into that game saying, look, we're going to let Blake Bortles beat us. If he beats us, hey, what can we do? But we're not going to let you know Fournette beat us. And, and that was the game plan. That's what they went out and executed. It was – Frankly, I thought it was a fantastic uh, game called by the defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it just, I don't know. It was just funny because they both used the exact – like both offenses moved the ball the same way. Both defenses played the same way. And I also understand, like, why neither team spied the quarterback at all. Like, Boros ran for more yards than he threw, and that was what set their field goal attempt that they had. Uh, that's what set the touchdown that they had, too. So it's like, why don't you just have – you know, Alexander just sit there in the middle of the field and just spy Bortles the entire time. But uh, they were pretty insistent on, you know, turning their backs and playing zone coverage and, you know, letting them run for 9, 12 yards over and over again. And so that whole thing was really strange. But, uh, you know, we'll do the same thing too. And the you know, one of the other things I want to mention was Sean McCoy was spectacular in this game with the bad ankle. He had, you know, 120, uh, 120 yards from scrimmage. And he played a lot better than I thought he was going to. I liked how the Bills, you know, rested and picked their spots with him. He had that one screen that he took, you know, 40 yards that they lost, 10 yards on. Because a really weak holding penalty, and my holding is that if your hands are on the chest and you're driving and the back, you know, it was A.J. Boya, you know, kind of falls back as, he is, as he's wrapped up the chest. That shouldn't be holding because he's grabbing on the numbers. You can grab there. You just have to do a better job getting off the block. So I think that was – you know, uh, a sad part of it, too. I think things broke for the Jags about as well as they could in this one. Yeah, the other big factor in here is that we, we have to really props to Nathan Peterman, who threw yet another interception. So the dude now has 52 attempts as a pro all overall with six interceptions. That is truly, truly elite. <laughs> I want to see what that comes out to you. Uh, that's like one out of eight and a half. It's a, uh, that's it, like an, an, inter, an interception rate of eleven and a half percent. That is truly spectacular. Yeah, like awful is four percent. 
That's pretty good, though. I, didn't, I mean, I kind of felt bad for Peter because that's an awful situation to go into. One where you're playing with the Bills' offense that they have zero, you know, outside receivers at all. Benjamin's hurt. Uh, he also weighs 270 pounds. Jordan Matthews is yeah. out there. You have Zay Jones, who, you know, has been good all this year. Charles Clay is your best receiver. And you're also going up against a great pass rush and a great and the best pass sequence in football. And it was just a no-win situation. And that Ramsey interception was spectacular, too, the way he tipped it to himself. And Boy, almost did something similar as well, but he wasn't quite able to do it. And Ramsey's just a, a bit better. He's just a better athlete than Boye can make plays like that. Yeah, but you're not going to give any love at all to Logan Thomas? Wow, you're harsh. I thought he's a bad in, too. <laughs> I love Logan Hargett. Logan Thomas, excuse me, as a quarterback. He's one for nine with one completion for – that one completion went for 81 yards in a touchdown. That's what I was about to say. Like that seventy whatever yard touchdown he had in Arizona. Yeah, it's, it's I think he started a game there too, and that was his, his entire box school before he got benched again. Yeah, hey, he's he's living the dream though. Uh, and the <laughs> last game was Panthers Saints, and we mentioned it earlier, but this was like a really spectacular quarterback duel. Uh, so BFT, who do you enjoy watching more of, the Saints or the Panthers? And which throw do you think is prettier, the Breeze back shoulder throw? Or the Cam Newton screamer across the defensive back. I I got to go with the Cam Newton throw because Cam Newton. There aren't many guys who can just flat out make that play. There are a lot of guys who can throw beautiful back shoulders. You know, Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson. There are a lot of guys who can make that back shoulder throw. And, and it's not taking away from it either at all. But Cam Newton, man, when he throws one of his downfield balls that is just a, an absolute clothesline. It is a beautiful ball. You want to talk about a, a, a spiral that is cutting through the air and is getting from point A to point B with, with beautiful precision. That is that ball. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I have to admit, let's just be honest, it, it sexually arouses me to see that throw. <laughs> yeah. If only they could put that into a little blue pill. <laughs> I don't need yeah, no little never... blue pills. Yeah, we would never have to worry about that ever again. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, this one's hard. I think what they like about Newton's throw is because it really reminds me a lot of like a bow and arrow, where just the arrow is just pulled all the way back because he comes all the way off his back foot. And then when he throws, it's just his, his arm. Like, it's just all coming off his back foot. And pretty much just all pure arm strength. And nobody has the mechanics that he has. And that's just that he has this spectacular. Uh, I think to say Breeze just because with watching behind you of him, he's so you know he's like five ten or however tall he is and six foot, and he like cranes his neck over the line of scrimmage, and I don't think he can even see the entire picture for a lot of these throws he makes, but he just knows where that spot is, knows his guys well, and that throw Michael Thomas where Thomas is has a defensive back turn, looks in the last second, and pretty much just leaps a foot in the other direction and makes that catch. Like, he just has such good chemistry with everybody and. I mean, watching both these guys go back and forth is just spectacular. Yeah, it's – and they're such different quarterbacks, too. I mean, Drew Brees is very much a classic pocket quarterback. He he really relies on his accuracy. The guy is just crazy accurate. Um, you know, they sh- that was a light, light motif throughout the game, right, how accurate mm-hmm. he is. Um, so – and then Cam Newton, he's, he's, he's more of the modern-day quarterback where he's mobile – but he's also got the really, really huge arms. So he's like Mike Vick, but like the you know fourth upgrade of Mike Vick. 
So two very different quarterbacks, but both are just a ton of fun to watch. And, man, I do love me some Cam Newton. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing, I guess this game also reminded me of the Rams came away because I think this game went about as bad as it could go for the Panthers the way it started. Not from them that, you know, they didn't have any turnovers at all, but they started the game with five red zone trips. They moved the ball in the Saints territory over and over again, and they only got 12 points out of it. And yet still, in spite of all of that, they were able to have a, a game-winning drive opportunity at the very end of it. And, you know, the, the weird thing about that part of it to me is that the reason why the Saints team is a Super Bowl contender and why they're in the playoffs right now is because they can run the ball and play defense. And against the Panthers, they struggle to run the ball and play defense. So are you worried at all about their Super Bowl prospects at all? Or was it just kind of one bad game that their run game and defense had? I think that the that the uh, Panthers have some really good run-stopping ability. Whether you look at Kawan Short, Starlin Olei, um, Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, Shaq Thompson, these are this is a really good defense when, when broken down into its main components. So I, I don't really think that it was as much the Saints failing as it was the, the matchup, the Panthers being the matchup. That mm-hmm. said, I have not seen an update on Andrews Pete. Oh, he broke his leg. Yeah, he broke his left. Oh, he broke his leg. Oh, sh- yeah. crikey. Well, that's going to be a major – anybody who comes in for Andrews Pete is going to be a major downgrade. So it could it could be problems for the Saints running the ball. I, wow, I didn't realize that was the injury. Dang. Mm-hmm. And, they, I mean, they even struggled – throwing the ball to Kamara and Ingram this game. Kamara and Ingram had trouble, you know, running, and the Panthers have great linebackers. And that's kind of – I mean, the way their defense works is it's just three levels of it. And it's been like that since, you know, 2014, where you have a front four that gets pressure. You have linebackers that are fast and can cover a huge part of the field. And so that way, whenever you run five defensive backs in coverage, they don't have to be as good because they have to cover less than enough space because of how good your linebackers are. And I think Keekley and Thomas had great games, but Keekley – kind of got lost in pass here and there where guys were able to get behind him and he was drawn back in zone coverage and kind of changed this game uh, a little bit as well, too. But I think that's a good answer. I think it's more about the pan run defense than you know, the Saints. And, you know, Newton's really good. And uh, we all like good Newton was, too, with his receiving course where he has Greg, Nel- he has Greg Olsen. He has uh, Clay, who dropped that touchdown pass. He has Funch, who only has one shoulder that works. He had... Uh, Buxton, or Buxton, who fell down, you know, running with the football. And they don't really have anybody <laughs> after that. And so, I mean, you know, the, the effort that Newton had in this game was just spectacular. And, you know, he was he was close, and uh, he's one of the, you know, best quarterbacks in football. And I think kind of people kind of forget about that, too, sometimes, the thing about Carolina. Yeah, that, that uh, uh, Burson turf monster trip up, man, that would have been a big play. And if that's who you're throwing to, I mean, Russell Shepard was worthless out there. But, yeah, Funches, God, man, that looked like me. And Christian McCaffrey, the only reason he had a uh, decent game receiving was that one long touchdown. That one so, catch. Yeah. The trade, I, I still don't understand the Calvin Benjamin trade. I don't know. So it seemed like he would have been real helpful out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. And I don't think Benjamin's all that great, but for sure he would have been helpful in this one. And also, Newton and him, you know, work together pretty well. And, that was kind of one of the weirdest yeah. trades this year. And uh, the other thing I, I found interesting about this game was on the Panthers' perspective is they couldn't get a rush off their front four. And then the second half, they started blitzing on third down and really started getting after Breeze 
And that's when they started the punts, were able to kind of claw their way back into this one. And, yeah, that, that pun was intended. And you don't really see the Panthers blitz at all. And you also don't see them struggle to get a pass or something in their front four. And so that whole kind of change uh, was interesting, too. So, like, I mean, it was, just, it was just such a fun game watching these two quarterbacks kind of go back and forth. And when one line kind of dropped, the other one picked back up. And uh, the Panthers still had a chance to come back and win it. And why don't defensive backs just knock the, knock the ball down? Because the Panthers did lose. Uh, they didn't throw the ball at their own 47. Instead, they started the ball at their own 31. They lost 16 yards of position because Mike Adams had intercepted that pass, which should have been reviewed also. But, yeah, why don't defensive backs just knock that pass away? It's situation awareness, but uh, it's also instinct, right? It's uh, Look, that's a mistake I've made, not not playing professional football. Duh. <laughs> but just, <laughs> just I, I remember, uh, you know, I play football, not – okay. So it's just a mistake because it's purely instinct. You see the ball, you want to catch the ball. That's what you want to do. Even you see the, the, the same thing from wide receivers and running backs when they're catching the ball four yards behind the line of scrimmage, and they know they're yeah. going to get their, their world's rocks, but it's instinct to catch the ball. I'm supposed to catch that thing. I'm not supposed to knock it down. And so I think that that is a part of football that can be improved upon if you're you know, kind of looking at the next level kind of statistics kind of thing. But still, man, if I see a football coming my way, I want to catch it. I'm not really thinking, oh, am I going to lose four yards? I'm thinking, ball, catch. Yeah, not for sure. And I've, I've never seen offensive back, like, not intercepted the pass for Glover Quinn in 2010. My, my last question for you is, game <laughs> is what did you know Sean Payton's decision go for him? Yeah, guy, it was fourth and two. They had the ball at the 47 on – 47-yard line. The Panthers had zero timeouts. There is 157 left in the game. And rather than punt and try to pin Carolina deep, uh, they went for it and Breeze got blocked and that, you know, interception to Adams. But what did you think? Did you like the call for – did you like Payton to go over the throat slit on that one? I, I'm really mixed because I like the aggressive nature of that call. And you're also – you're really – you're gambling on that your defense, who's, which has been playing pretty darn well – is going to be able to hold up against the Panthers on that. I don't know if I would have done that. That was a little bit even aggressive for me, someone who has a tendency to be want to be more aggressive. I don't fault them for it, though, because you really – you just end the game. There is something I really like about controlling your own destiny, and I think that's one of those cases where yeah. you control your own destiny by saying, hey, look, it's fourth and two. I'm going to go for it now. And I think the play call sucks. Uh, but I, I, I don't have a problem with it, but it was maybe a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think going tr- that traditional drop back, just because they they were struggling to, to drop back at that point in the game with the pass rush and the blitz that you know, Carolina had, and it kind of rocked again, too. Um, is there anything else that you want to add about these four games this past weekend? No. Yeah, I had a lot, I had a lot in my heart that I needed to get out. Thank you. <laughs> I'm laying on a leather couch with uh, looking up at the ceiling. Kinky. Mm. So we have a little bit of time here left. We're not going to entirely preview these games. Uh, again, it's only Tuesday night. I've done enough look into it. And I don't want to give you false information or anything like that. So we'll make our preliminary picks and I guess kind of talk about what we're, we're interested in uh, in the last part of the show. 
So the the first game this weekend is going to be Atlanta against Philadelphia. The Falcons are road favorites as the number six seed going to the number one seed, and they're three-point favorites. Uh, who do you have in this one? I've got Atlanta. I, the, the Eagles are a great team, but without Carson Wentz, I think they're just a shell offensively. So I've got to, I'm going to go with the Falcons. I'm going to say Philly just because I, I don't think Atlanta showed enough that last game. If they play like how they did last week, this week, it's a defensive, run the ball, sort of grind. I think the Eagles are going to beat them. Uh, that game kind of goes like how – like I think this game could kind of be like how a better version of Buffalo-Jacksonville uh, if Atlanta plays like how they did last week. And I think the Eagles will beat them in that situation. Wow, interesting. Okay. Uh, the next game we have is Saturday night. We have Tennessee going to England. I guess the line here. Guess how high it is. Uh, well, you've got it on there on our write up. Damn so it! Seems it. like it's kind of cheating. Yeah, the, the <laughs> are thirteen and a half point favorites in this one. Yeah, and and I think that's about twenty five points too low. <laughs> I thought I felt too. I think this is going to be an uh, just a. What was it, 57 and nothing a few years ago? 2000, what was that, 2009, 2008, when uh, the Patriots won in the snow, 57 nothing. So I'm going to go with uh, the Patriots easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And I, I think the only way if it's a you know, less than 14-point game is because Tennessee, you know, runs the ball against the Patriots defense doesn't really playing it all anymore. You know, the smoke's clear, you know, nothing's going but I do think the Patriots, you know, want to run the score up. I think they're angry after that ESPN article. So I think they're going to come in and try to pour it up on Tennessee. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't doubt it. And not only that, that would be so Belichick, wouldn't it? Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of that 2012 Texans game where they're going in and you're like, there really is any hope at all. And uh, you just kind of know that they're going to lose. That's kind of a question of how much. Yeah, pretty much. Maybe the beer players are going to touch down pass for two minutes left or something and make it seem close to the million. I I just hope that oh god, never mind, that was too mean. Let's let's just, <laughs> let's just move on. The the Sunday twelve o'clock game is Jacksonville going to Pittsburgh. The line is Pittsburgher uh Pittsburgh are favorites. So who do you have in this one? I'm gonna take Jacksonville. Not only am I gonna take Jacksonville to cover I'm going to take them to win. I'm going to take them to win in a, like a 14 to nine ugly, nasty game because I think they can shut Antonio Brown down, especially with some hurt. And I'm, I don't know his status right now either. But uh, that's I, I'm going to look that one up. Yes, I'm going to nerd out. The full participant. Okay, so he's going to play. I'm going to take him. I'm still going to take Jacksonville. Mhm. Yeah, I'm going Pittsburgh. Like a 150, 175 yard Le'Veon Bell rushing game. I don't think they're going to have to really throw the ball at all to to beat Jacksonville. And I also think Bortles makes mistakes. And you know, as bad as Bortles was in sunny Florida, he's going up to you know the cold in Pittsburgh and going up to be, going up against a good defense that's still rushing some. And then they also you know they blitz, they love to blitz defensive backs and confuse quarterbacks. And so I don't like Bortles going to Pittsburgh. I think he's really good. I don't, I don't think Jacksonville's going to lose because of the defense, and they're going to lose because of their offense. And I think Bell runs for, like, 175 yards, and Roethlisberger has, like, a, a game-managing, you know, 200 or something like that. Yeah, I'm mostly going with Jacksonville uh, just because um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, just because, uh, like, Blake Bortles is so freaking erratic, I can see him having a big game and just, like, blowing everybody away. So yeah, I'm pulling this fully out of him. I want, you know, I want hey. Jacksonville to win. I don't, I don't want Salt or Pepper in the AFC title. I want Salt versus, like, a, I don't know, some some good old Creole. I don't know. What's, I don't know what it really is. Time. Like, I want to see something different in the AFC title game. I'm tired of the team. And you know, Jacksonville's pass defense is good enough to mash against New England and Pittsburgh. But so many things have to go you know, the right way for them. But I think this game is going to be a good one. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. And the last game, I think this is the best game this weekend. It's New Orleans going to Minnesota. And the Vikings are four-point favorites. Uh, this one, to, for me, is easy. It's New Orleans. Um, I really think this is the weekend that Case Keenum turns back into a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, I have the Saints, too. And I think Keenum is underrated by uh, – you know, he's had such a great year. He's been awesome this year. And I don't think that should be taken away. But he has thrown a lot of passes that should have been picked off that, you know, weren't. And I don't know. Like, it, it's been – it's, it's, I think it's my favorite thing about this year. I'm so happy for the Keenum truthers who say Keenum's great all this time for him to actually have a great year. It's been beautiful, and I'm you're really happy that Keenum's had a great season. But I, I just think the Saints are just a better football team from you know offense, you know offensively, offensively, you know and I, they have the defense and run game too to to beat Nor- to beat Minnesota as well. Yeah. It, yes. Yes. And I also think that Case Keenum really still is not a very good quarterback. I don't know. Um, yes, he was fine this year. Yes, you're not going to replace him. You're you're not going to put in uh, Teddy Bridgewater to replace him. You're just not going to do that. They wanted uh, to, but they yes, couldn't. They, it was funny. Yeah, they really kind of couldn't. So it, it's just he's still not a good quarterback. He had a fine season. He put up a 98.3 QB rating. His entire season screams outlier in every possible way. So, um, and if you look toward the end of the season, starting against Cleveland, his numbers drop off dramatically. So, I just really expect Case Keenum to do a full face flop in this game. Yeah, he's also one of those guys, too, that has a really high touchdown rate, too, compared to what he's ever had before. And, and uh, I'm going to and it's going to be mean to say, but Deshaun Watson's the same way, too, where he has a, a touch rate that's way too high. And a lot of quarterbacks that do that, you know, Nick Foles is a great example, uh, to jump, jump, drop off the following year. So we'll see what happens. You, know, there's, you see the report that you know, the Vikings offensive coordinator, Pat Schumer, if he becomes the head coach, he's Case Keenum with their package deal. <laughs> God. If you're the team that hires Pat Schumer, I hope not. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, Case Keenum is uh, what is he? Twenty nine this year, twenty eight this year. I, I mean, you're seeing. Yeah. Well, where is he? So you know, he's not he's he's not young. He's not going to get better. You can't really expect him to get better. Uh, his his uh, he's twenty nine. That's right. So next yeah. year will be his age thirty season. So if you expect Case Keenum to go out and do what he's going to do for another season with a fluky. I mean, it's just like Andrew Siciliano says during the uh, Sunday Ticket broadcast. Tatum with another hot air balloon down the field. I mean, this is a guy who gets lucky more than he's good. It's just sometimes you fluke. 
hey, sometimes the knuckleballer throws a, a shutout. It's just happening. <laughs> hey, he does throw a pretty nice deep ball, even back, even going back to his time in Houston. Remember that Kansas City game he first started where he hit Hopkins and that uh, beautiful game with Andre Johnson's the Colts where they ended up blowing in the second half? Yeah, he can put downfield a little bit. He can, yeah. It's the other balls he can't throw. Yeah. Nah, I mean, regardless, I'm, I am happy about uh, what he was able to do this year. It, it was a lot of fun. And it's incredible that he's going to be playing a home playoff game uh, this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I really wow. can't believe it. It's good. It's good. That, that'll be a fun game to watch, and I just can't wait to see the face plant. Yeah, and I put a, a $50 bet on the Saints in the Super Bowl, and they were 7-1 to one odds. And so I'm hoping to get oh, revenge wow. on that on that fa- yeah, and just entering the playoffs and I had fifty one odds on the Falcons in the Super Bowl last year. Week eight I picked them. And it would have paid out, you know, three hundred dollars. So I doubled down on it and then of course the the twenty oh, eight happened. So I hate gambling. I never <laughs> want to do it again. But I got roped in a little bit because I, I really am I've been in on the Saints since on week eight this year once they I saw they could run the ball and play defense. But I'm really excited for this game though. All and I think I'm going to Big Ben this weekend, too, so I'm probably have to watch more recorded on MLK Day on Monday. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you can't even see, you know. Wow. Okay. See, I don't yeah, gamble, so, I, so. Yeah. Well, I'll come home and see if I made $50 or not, you know. Um, yeah. So, anyways, we don't have any viewer questions all night, uh, which is fine. Thank you, everybody, for listening live. Thank you for listening to record as well, too. I hope you enjoyed these games past weekend. I hope you enjoy the games this weekend because football is great. You know, Texas will have to be playing uh, for you to enjoy the game at all. Uh, thank you for being on tonight, BFD, as well. We'll be back on, we'll be back on live next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central where we will review the divisional round, and maybe the Texans have a GM by that point. Uh, who knows? But anyways, again, my name is Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bob Red Radio, and thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>